draw near to you and worship you in spirit and in truth.
Holy Spirit through Paul says, Eye has not seen and ear has not heard all the wonderful things that the Father's plan for those who love Indeed, they're wonderful things. So I want to praise my God. Praise
some things in creation, the, the biggest, uh, or listen, the biggest, the higher level you made it, the very, the very top is
Amen. Thank you for sharing, Christopher. As I was pondering the goodness of the Lord, my heart has been overwhelmed with what we call His goodness, what feels good this week, as I shared, but also with His goodness that is beyond us. It's in the heavens. Psalm 116, David says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, of his godly ones. It's precious. For us, it's painful. To God, it's precious. And this week, um, someone, we didn't know them super closely, but we, we knew them. Uh, they're friends of ours in, in, down by Canyon City. Um, their son, Dakota, went to be with the Lord, 17 years old. And um, it was through an accident. And the father fell asleep or something, and, and his son was killed in the accident. And so as they're grieving 
the loss of their 17-year-old son, and I thought of Brother Henry and your sister sudden passing her husband today, their children grieving the loss of their mom, and, and just there are people all over the world who are grieving the loss of a physical presence of a person. And we have God's word, and he says, that's precious to me. That's precious. And so whether it's God's, what feels good to us, that is overwhelming us today, or whether it's a trial of your faith, like the death of a loved one, God wants us to draw near. And Christy, when you talked about that, uh, Jesus inviting us, all your heavy laden. My, my thoughts this morning as we were singing this song went to Jesus' words as he came to Jerusalem before he rode the donkey down into the city just before his crucifixion and he stopped on the, on the hill as he looked out over the city. Do you remember the story? Yeah. Jesus wept. What did he weep for? Someone tell me? The spiritual condition. And what was that? What was the spiritual condition? What caused Jesus to weep? No? Although he did weep at the grave of Lazarus. The unbelief. But did Jesus, you remember what Jesus said? He said, I wanted to gather you in like a mother hen does her chicks to come and live. Under my wings, my care, my love, but you did not. It did not come. And it caused Jesus to have a broken heart and weep over that. And as I was reflecting over this kind of two opposite spectrum of the human experience, experiencing an overwhelming love of God and what feels good to us, Wayne's miracle and our little miracle, big miracle we call it, and God's divine love in calling his loved ones home, leaving us broken hearted. I was sharing with a brother this week who experienced death uh, of a loved one as well. And this is the testimony of that, that the, the word the Lord put on her heart the week he took her home. And it was interesting, I was really praying for them. This was a as they were going through it, and the Lord put this word in my heart, Psalm 91. Verse 1, word we, we know well. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. And if you continue to read down through the whole psalm, it's David declaring who God is and what he does for him and how he's going to trust him. And I shared that word with them. And she replied saying, that's 
of the promise God gave me this week. And then he took her home. After I knew. Did God fulfill his promise or not? What do you think? What do you think she's saying today? Do you think she's saying, yes, Lord, you are my fortress, you are my rock, I trusted in you, and you saved me. What do you think? Or is she before the Lord Jesus saying, what? You, you, you told me, where's the promise? What do you think she's doing? I think she's declaring his goodness. And I think the Lord, in whatever our experience is today, this week, in our relationship to God, whether it's a trial of our faith, feeling like we're fighting just to hold on to faith. It's a good fight of faith. And it's been a fight for you this week. Whether it's in the deep valley of the shadow of death, Yet there David said, I will fear no evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why wouldn't he fear? What did he say? For thou art with me. There in the valley of the shadow of death, I have no fear, because he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow. Perfect love casts out all fear. First John chapter four tells us there's no fear in death anymore. Hebrews twelve, Hebrews chapter two tells us because Jesus came and He rendered the devil powerless, and now all those who are subject to bondage through the fear of death fear no longer. In the valley, the shadow of death, no fear. Complete trust, faith, hope, and love. All there. Or whether you're just reveling in God's goodness, His blessings, His miracles. All the same. When we come like Jesus in my to come and dwell under my care. I wanted you, wanted to be your mother hen. Come and dwell under my care. This morning, we're going to have uh, Brother Angel share uh, a word of testimony with us. I asked him uh, last Sunday, and then they couldn't make it, and uh, so he asked if he could share a little bit this Sunday, and I said, yes, amen. So I told him I'm going to do a little bit like we're in a dance here. We're dancing with Jesus, and uh, if he goes too long, I'm just going to cut in. So we'll see how this goes. Blessings to you, brother. Is that turned on? Is the mic on?
Pastor Bill's been after me for my testimony. And I had to put it off for some time. And, and, uh, and then uh, last week, I was supposed to give it last Sunday, but my wife uh, helped is uh, when went bad and so we could make it. But today I I thought about it and I thought about it, you know, it's a, I got a long story, but I brought it down to a few words. And my wife and I we have had um, several trials and tribulations that we have gone through and it's no secret that my wife has uh, multiple sclerosis we have made it known to you. But uh, through all our trials and tribulations we have had, me and my wife, we put our lives in the hands of the Lord. Just like Psalms 46, verse 1 says, He has been a refuge for us because we have put our all, we have laid down our lives in His hands. And we appreciate you, friends, for being so kind and loving and hospitable. You hospitality is awesome. Um, as far as my my past, I am not proud of uh, my past. It was a uh, it was uh, it's something I'm not proud of. It and uh, I I, uh, I was a drunkard. I I would I would uh, I would I would I would I would call what they call back then and maybe even now what they call a party animal. And I would go and uh, I would close the bar. I would not leave the bar until I had my field. And, and that lifestyle is a, you know, you know, all the, the territory of that lifestyle is full of sin. It, it has, it, it, you will be working the, the, the works of the flesh. To the pool, and, and I, uh, I, I, I was guilty of that. And um, about mid, mid 80s, I had uh, what I call, uh, by all accounts, I should have been dead by now. But the good Lord has uh, extended His loving kindness and mercy. And I'm still alive, and I'm thinking that. There's something else that he has for me to do. Amen. And so I, uh, I, uh, I am here today that, to, 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 to say that I, I am, uh, I am, uh, I, uh, the Lord called me from that dead uh, way of life to, uh, to a better one. He showed me a better one. And, uh, and he called me. Just like Pastor Phil has, he called me to, to him, to his rest, and he showed me a better way to live. And um, after uh, thousands of dollars of paying lawyers and courts for uh, uh, DUIs and all of this, you know, and then I, I went into a the judge, on the last DUI, the judge said to me, you are going to rehab. 
cry of their hearts, the groanings of the deep pain that is in their hearts that they may not even be able to put in the words or into tears. That you, Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, make intercession for them. We lift them up before your throne of grace. And we trust the care of their souls into your loving care. We pray, Lord, that you would guide them day by day through this experience and many others, Lord, who are we're experiencing the same sufferings around the world. That you would show yourself for who you are in their own personal journey of life, a good shepherd of your sheep. Jesus Christ, Amen. You turn your Bibles with me to First Peter, chapter one. Verse one: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. Now, Peter's not speaking to everyone here. He's not speaking to the world. He's speaking to God's children. Who are living in the world as strangers. Are you one of those? If you're living in the world as one who lives in his home, as one who's not a stranger to the world, as an owner, as an occupier, well, this word isn't for you. Until you become a stranger in this world. Now, this is the living word for you. If you can say, yes, Lord, hey, everybody, this world is not my home. Like the song goes, this world is not my home. You know that song? I'm just passing through. And this word's for you. Scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia were chosen. He's talking to the the Christians who were scattered across Asia Minor were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. If you live in that reality, there is nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of Christ. You will say with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, I am persuaded not even death itself can separate me. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. Because I have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Who's my dad? The Father. He's my dad. Is he yours? He chose you to be his son, his daughter. Adopted us into the family of God, Galatians says. And Romans 8 tells us, we've been given the spirit of adoption, so we cry, Daddy, Papa! Wow, that makes all the difference in the world. If you're a stranger in a foreign country, and you're there all by yourself, and you don't have a parent, you don't have any parents with you, you have no family there, there's one thing that's going to affect you deeply. How would you feel? Lonely. Yes. But if you're there without the 
yes, you have no clue, especially if you live in a foreign country because you don't even read the language. And if you're an alien here, a foreigner in this world, you don't speak their language. But we have a GPS, the Holy Spirit. You know, the Lord has years ago really taught me a strong lesson with the GPS. Because see, I grew up reading maps. Now, I'm not that old, but the boys tell me I'm from the 1900s, and they're right. When I was young and growing up and, you know, our young married life, I remember when cell phones came out, right? The first big cell phones in those big package suitcases, and, and I had mine mounted in my truck for my business, and when it would ring, the horn would go off, and we'd go running for the phone in the truck. Oh, we thought that was the coolest thing since sliced bread. That was just amazing. The world was becoming modern. We couldn't imagine we got a little thing, you know, yay big that we could stick in our pocket that we could access the internet. What was that? I remember reading Bill Gates' book, The Road Ahead, and I thought it was Star Wars kind of stupidity. That's stupid. That'll never happen in my age. The internet, shopping online, what even was that? Couldn't even grasp my head around it. Now it's the world we live in. In our pockets. Anyway, the Lord taught me a good lesson with GPS. I was in Loveland and I was supposed to, you know, I've lived in Loveland for 20 years. I know that city very, very well because I've been doing business, building sheds in hundreds and hundreds of backyards in the city of Loveland. I know the city quite well. And so I was going to this address and I thought I was leaving Fort Collins and coming down to meet this customer. I was like, I don't know where that is. And my GPS was telling me, go this way. And I punched it in my GPS just to make sure, you know, I was like, oh, the GPS is wrong, you know. I don't know why they want to take me down this road. The GPS was right. I ended up going the wrong way back around, and there was construction, and there were all kinds of detours, and I hadn't thought about that. GPS knew those, that construction was there, and the detours that were going to take and I ended up spending like 45 minutes to get to the customer's house that should have taken me like 20 minutes. I was late. My the Lord spoke strongly to my heart and said, that's exactly how your life will go if you don't listen to the Holy Spirit. That still small voice speaking into your conscience, my truth, my guiding truth, your life. You're going to be late over and over again. You're going to be frustrated because you're going to come up on roadblocks and detours of other people's lives merging into yours and the devil's roadblocks and you will live a life of frustration and correction, constant in correcting and falling short of the glory of God. That's how important the Holy Spirit's
going to happen. If the Holy Spirit is speaking another way into your life. Most of the time when we say, I'm right, even in a simple argument, you're wrong. Even if the facts are right, the Spirit is wrong. And that's the most important thing to our God, to the Holy Spirit, is how our attitude is towards what we think is right. Is it one of humility? Is it one of being easily entreated? James 3, the wisdom that is from above is easily entreated, corrected. Or is it one of, I'm right, and I'm here to correct you? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now I'm a stranger in this world, but I have a dad in heaven who is speaking to me through the GPS, the Holy Spirit. And that word is a sanctifying word. I love 1 John chapter 3. You can turn your Bibles there with me. And I want to show you this word that the Lord encourages with me many, many times. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See, and that word is behold. And in, in the Greek that means it's like a steady gaze. A gaze that's looking intently. I get the picture of someone looking into a telescope. This is our telescope. You know how a big telescope is? You look down to see up. Right? You look down to see up. And when you're gazing at the stars through a telescope, you will see the glory of God, His handiwork, and you will walk away from that experience very differently than if you just walk out here and then, and then tonight and just kind of look at the stars and say, ah, the stars are out tonight. You'll have a completely different experience. This is how it is when you look at the love of God. Oh, God loves me. That's nice. Or you behold the love of God as it's written, spoken, declared to you by the Holy Spirit through His Word. That will leave you unchanged. Changed, transformed. The other one, it's a nice thought. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called what? What are you called? The children of God. Children of God. That's an identity. That's an identity. And such we are. Look at the confidence that comes from that. When you look at God's love to where what you get out of that love is, that's who I am. You walk away with a strong identity. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I'm a stranger in this world. I'm a child of God. I'm a dad. For this reason, the world does not know us. Because it didn't know him. Did the world know who Jesus was? No. No. Even his hometown 
Nazareth, the place he grew up. What did they say about him? This is not the son of Joseph. Are his brothers and sisters not living right here? Wait, I went to school with this guy. Can you imagine the boys who grew up with Jesus? Went to school, were in the same class. And now Jesus comes back at 30 years old and he's doing all these miracles. And they hear he's doing them all over in, in around the surrounding area of Galilee. And he comes to his hometown and they're going, show us something. Like, raise somebody from the dead. Heal some sick, show us a miracle. And all Jesus does, all Jesus does in his hometown is he casts out one demon in the church. And they're in a stony. Isn't it amazing? They wanted physical healing. They wanted miracles like they heard the others. Are, the lame are walking. The blind are seeing. The deaf are hearing. The dead are being raised. Show us who you are. I went to school with you. Come on. You're declaring yourself as the son of God? Really? Prudent. And Jesus comes into his home church where he grew up. And the demon cries out. I know who you are! Jesus, the Son of God! Did you come here to torment me? And Jesus casts him out. The only miracle done is on that. And for that, they grab him, they take him out of the church, out to the brow of the hill, and we're going to throw him down. For this reason, the world does not know us, because we did not know him. How does your hometown know you? Like that? Are you a stranger? Or are you a hometown boy? Or a hometown girl? You know, we as Christians, we so easily pray, Oh Jesus, make me like you. We sing the songs. Oh, to be like the precious Redeemer. You really mean what you just said? Or is it just a song you're singing because that's what the song the church is singing? Or are you like Jesus' home church where he grew up as a boy in his hometown? The world didn't know who he was. And when you have this identity with him, the Holy Spirit is clear. They won't know who you are. They won't know who you are. I won't. Beloved, this is who we are. Now we are children of God. That's who I am. I'll tell you my own testimony about my hometown. And when the Lord first brought this strongly, this truth into my life. It was a good lesson for me early in my ministry. Uh, we had moved out from Pennsylvania in 1997. Katie and I, I was 24 years old and she was 20. And, uh, and, and you know, that was the place we grew up in. When I moved into that place, into the church, I was 11 years old. We, we grew up there, went through the youth group there. We got married there. We were baptized in the church there. I, I, I became a businessman there. And had, you know, 20 employees and the Lord blessed us richly and, and was involved in many different ministries in the community and 
And the Lord called us to Colorado. And when the Lord called us to Colorado, I had brothers in the church. One brother in particular, I'll never forget. Dear, loving brother Tanavia. And I share this because he's changed his mind. But back then, when he seen that I was, when I began to say, God is calling us to Colorado, what are you, what are you doing? Because God was calling me, the business that I owned, I was partnered with, was going to be, the partnership was going to be broken up. And the business sold. And there was some uh, guy from Pittsburgh and a few other guys from who were brokers were looking to buy it and they weren't Christians. This business had been owned by Christian business brothers in the church ever since it had been started. Most of the brothers in the church worked there. And the people were in shock. It's like, we're just going to let this thing be sold and what about us? What about all the money that, that comes into the church and the ministries that come through the business? And So one brother came to me one morning as I came into my office. He came in, I could tell he was white as a sheep. He looked distraught. And he sat in front of me and he said, Phil, this was an older brother. I was 24, like I told you. He was in his 40s. Respected, I loved him deeply. He said, I didn't sleep last night. I had this vision, and the Lord told me to tell you, it's the devil that's taking you to Colorado. It's not God. You think it's God, it's not. It's the devil. He wants to destroy this business. He wants to destroy this church. You're deceived, brother. He was weeping. Boy, that almost did me in. The only thing I had going for me as I walked out of that office and continued to walk through the preparation of moving to Colorado that fall was this still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't Shake that voice. It gripped my spirit. It led me. Had this leading force. It was like Jesus just kept giving me his hand and saying, Just follow me. Follow me. Just follow me. Fast forward. We moved here in 2000. I was ordained to the ministry as one of the pastors of the church. And the Lord put a call in my heart to the love for his word. And I knew I was called to preach God's word and encourage God's people and, and share the gospel with the world. And I wasn't called to be a big businessman. That was not my calling. I knew it. And, and so I began to give myself to the word of God and to the ministry. And later that year, my hometown church, pastor there calls me. And it was at a time when we were going through some deep waters with our son Christian. We were in Mexico, I remember doctoring, and, and we didn't know if he was going to make it or not. And he calls me and says, Phil, we're having this revivalistic meetings, two weeks of it. And we're going to host it, we're going to rent this camp meeting out here. And I knew well where the place was, where I grew up. And he said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have one brother come from Ohio and preach every night. Uh, for the first week, and we want you to do the second week. And I was like, what? What? I couldn't believe this. Because there was, there was still a lot of pain in us moving from back there, and I knew it, even in his heart. So I don't know what happened, except that the Lord was 
my heart and in theirs to do this. And so I said, yes, okay, I'll come. And so later that fall, in the middle of my weakness, with the pain of our son, Christian, and it wasn't like I felt like, boy, now I, God has done something in my heart. I have something to share with you. I went in my brokenness, in my weakness, thinking I was trembling. It's like, God, I can't preach to these people. They all know me very, very well. They're sitting there thinking, this thing. I, classmates were there. I went. And I remember it was interesting. On our flight there, I was supposed to have the first meeting on Monday night, and I missed the flight. Or one flight was delayed, missed the other flight, and the Lord spoke really strongly to me. They canceled the meeting that night. They just had a prayer meeting, and I got there on a Tuesday, and one of the brothers picked me up, and as I walked into that place, I began to realize, oh man, there are a lot of community people here that know me, that I had business transactions with, that I, my former banker was there. And I remember he was, he's a believer, he was a precious brother in Christ, and, and I, I remember he, he just, he prayed with me when I left, but he was extremely disappointed because he lost a big loan note, because we didn't go forward with buying the business, it was all going to come through his bank. As I stood up to preach, I felt, as one brother used to say, the crowd is looking at me like a calf at a new gate. I'm an old farm boy, and you know, if you've been around new calves shortly after they're born, and they're still with their mama in the pen, and you put on a new gate, and usually back in those days, the gates were bright green, kind of a dark, bright green, right, fresh paint, and the calf would back all the way back in the corner, look real scared at that new gate. That's the look everybody was giving me. And I remember as I opened up God's word and the Holy Spirit flooded my heart, I was lost. It was like my spirit was transcended into the spirit of the realm of the heavenlies, and I just shared whatever the Holy Spirit put in my heart. And that week, the Holy Spirit converted many souls. Many. There was revival. Working through my brokenness and their openness. He was glorified. And I'll never forget that one transformed my life and many of their lives. But most importantly, it transformed our relationship. A banker came up to me after that first night, and, and people were weeping before the Lord, and, and I was weeping, and, and he came up and he kissed me a big hug. And he says this to me, now I know why you moved to Colorado. Now I know. I was upset with you. But now I know why. And this is so much more important than business. God has called you. That's what he said to me. God wants to do the same thing in your life. Every one of the children whom he has called and chosen. You have not been chosen to be a millionaire in this world. You're a stranger. You have been called to be a foreigner. You have been called to be one of his children. You have been called and predestined.
conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. When he goes to his hometown, you're called to the same experience. Any volunteers? You want to be a child of God or a child of the world? You can't be both. So many of us try to do both. We're like jugglers, juggling balls. But even the best juggler in the world will drop a ball sooner or later. And unfortunately, that ball is your soul. It's my soul. It gets dropped. So the world doesn't know us because we're called to be children of God. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what, as yet, what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him just as He is. And here's the verse. And everyone, that means everyone, you too, everyone, who has this hope in himself, does something. This hope is a hope of action. You can't sit there and be the same person anymore after hearing this call. After being called to Jesus, you will be in one crowd or the other. You're going to be like his hometown. People who grew up with him say, who is this guy calling me to this? This is craziness, Jesus. This is not who I know you to be. I'm going to cast you out of my life. I don't want this kind of a life. This can't, this must be the devil calling me. And they will tell you. Or you will open your heart to Jesus Christ and follow that call obediently and do this. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And that word pure has kind of a dual meaning. It has the meaning of James 1. You know what James 1 says about a pure-minded man? Let's look at it. I'll let it define itself. In James chapter 1, James says this, and let, uh, I'll begin in verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. Any doubting. Pure faith. Trust. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven, tossed to and fro, back and forth. You sit here today, you feel a conviction, you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, you say yes in your heart. But tonight, it's a yes and no. I don't know. Toss back and forth. Yes and no. For the one who doubts is like 
the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man think, expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. For a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But here's the opposite, brother sister. But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his position. Holy Spirit will lead you in the way of humility. That's the way to the cross. Jesus' way. Following Him, purifying yourself, starts with a double-mindedness. That's where it begins. Paul says to the Corinthians, this word challenges me often, and the boys challenge me with this word because I gave it to them quite often. And so they remind me, hey dad, when they ask me a question, is it yes or no? And I hee-haw around and I'm not quite sure. Sometimes it's a yes, sometimes it's a no. And I think, I mean, pray about that. Well, you've been praying about that for a long time. What is it? Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes or no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sabaeus and Timothy was not yes and no, but yes in him. The, the uh, other translations, the King James puts it, it was an amen and him. Let it be so. For as many as be the promises of God, in him they are yes. Wherefore also by him is our amen to the glory of God through us. That's the first word, this purity. As many as have this hope in themselves, they purify themselves. No more double-mindedness. Now your mind is set on one thing. Not on the earth. Colossians chapter 3, the Lord has been bringing this word to my heart. Turn your, mind, your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. I've been pondering this word all week long. And the Lord has been deeply convicting me in this area of my own life. If then, verse 1, you have been raised up with Christ, if that's your position, you've been raised with Christ, you are a child of God, and this we are. We beheld the love of God. It's adopted me into his family. I'm not an orphan. I'm a stranger in this world. I'm the son of God. That's who I am. I'm his daughter. That's who I am. If you then be raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. You can't do both. Yet we try all the time. We set, and this word, set your mind, is actually set your heart on it. It's, some translations use it, set your affection on things above. That means the things that affect your mood, the things that affect your passion, the things that affect your emotions, your affection, your heart. No wonder David says in Proverbs chapter 4, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Why is your heart so important? 
Someone tell me? What happens to you? Angel.
fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, living by your senses. What are your five senses? Someone tell me. Taste? Huh? Feel? Smell? Hearing. Touch? See? And hear? Sensuality is sin. Living by your five senses is sin. It will deceive you. It's coming from within your own heart. Do you know how many people judge each other Christians? They go by what they sense and feel with their God. And they go by what they sense and feel with others. I just get this feeling. I just get this sense. I smell something. I heard something. That didn't sound quite right to me. I had many pastors in counseling with others tell me, oh, that doesn't quite sound right. And I look at them and I say, why not? How does it not sound right to you? You know what didn't sound right? And I say this with all love. I had quoted the word of God. And he didn't know it. His response was, that doesn't sound right. And I looked at him and said, brother, it didn't sound right at all. It's the word of God. Uh, it just didn't feel right.
benches where people would sit, and many times we would see the higher Krishnas sit there, and they have the shaved heads. It's not the Buddhas, but it's similar. But they would sit there, and they'd just be mumbling to themselves. And I would go up sometimes to them and witness to them and give them a track, and, and they hated that. I disturbed their meditation. They got angry when we did that. You're, you're disturbing me, man. Let me alone. And they were just... Meditation, as E.W. Tozer says, is transcending. Meditation will take your mind and set it on something where it transcends your spirit from your physical existence, your present condition and circumstance, into another world. That's what books do. A really good book will take your mind, thought, into the light of that person Right? And you can sit there absorbed in the book, and there can be all kinds of things going around you, and you don't even hear it, you don't even know what's going on. You're in the book, and you're in that life. You're absorbed in it. You experience that? A law of meditation, David knew well. Throughout the Psalms, and especially in Psalm 119, David often says, in your law I will meditate. There day and night. Psalm 1, day and night. Blessed is that man. Setting your mind on things above, the telescope, which transcends your spirit from this earth to another world. And unlike the higher Krishnas, no one can disturb your spirit. When your meditation in him is set. Set your heart. Set your affection. People can offer you a million dollars. People can offer you much business. I remember when the Lord called me. And numerous times this has happened in my life. When I knew that the Lord called me to an act of obedience. And it was going to be a big deal. It was going to affect other people. Whether it was as a church leader or whether it was as a businessman, I always had someone come to me and offer me a lot of money or position. I remember years ago when the Lord called me out of one church setting and, and, and the Lord was calling me into a new work and, and I, the brother I loved and esteemed and, 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 and had much respect for, he came to me privately and he said, You've got 50 pulpits right now. I'll give you 50 more. Just stay. Just stay. And I was like, what? Brother, I want no more 50 pulpits. I don't even know what the 50 pulpits I have. He said, well, I'm going to make sure you lose them. And he did. I got one pulpit. Out of that. That's what I needed. I needed a singular walk with Christ. And because of that decision, about a year later, the Lord knew this. I didn't know. Our precious son needed me and my full attention and love and our wife. And the Lord took him on. But the Lord gave me that precious time. Whereas if I would have been traveling and preaching in a hundred pulpits, I would have never gone. See, the Lord always has a greater purpose. It's not about our reputation or our ministry or our work or our business. God wants your heart. That's what he's after. I want your heart. 
Mark 7, Jesus just got done telling them, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far away from me. And the Holy Spirit still calling to you and I. Give me your heart. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. You're a stranger here. You're my child. The world will not know you. But they didn't know me. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you will feel no evil, because I am with you. And when Christ, who is our life, verse 4, he now is my whole life. He's not just my thought life. He's not just my morning prayers. He's not just my devotions once in a while. He's not just my witnessing. He's not just my Sunday morning two-hour time. No, he's my whole life. Christ is my life. My whole life. When Christ, who is my life, is revealed, comes in glory, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider all your members on the earth as dead. What do you do with something that's dead? Bury it. There's a lot of dead Christians laying on the surface, unburied. There's a lot of dead things in your life that Christ has rendered dead on the cross that you haven't buried. Many Christians want to carry dead corpses on their backpacks. That's why they stink. The world for themselves. Purify your heart. Bury the dead things. The things Christ killed on the cross for you, for me. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Raise an account on these things that the wrath of God will come. God is a living God. And he buries the dead things for a purpose. What did he do with Jesus' dead body? Is it still dead? No. No! It is not dead anymore. But it had to die to be raised again. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants to do to the Holy Spirit for everything you count as dead and you bury it he will bring it to life. But it's going to be a new life. You're not going to be in control. It's going to be his life in you. And you'll be a new person. Brother Lee and I walked through this this year, this past year, in a ministry. And we were praying all about that ministry. It was still in the, deeply in his heart. And like, I want to just, may I share this testimony, Brother Lee? Lee has been ministering in this ministry of Christian businessmen in this in this city, in this community for over 30 years, right? It was a light the Lord called him to. And he's getting older. He was looking for someone else to take this ministry on. And he asked me, Phil, would you would you consider this? And I said I would pray. 
pray about it. And as we as we begin to pray and call out to God, and the Lord put this word in my heart. John chapter 12. And Jesus, verse 23, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Have you ever prayed that Jesus would be glorified in your life? In a situation that you're facing, in your wife, in your husband, in your son, in your daughter. Have you prayed that prayer? What did you expect? What kind of change? Did you expect death? If you didn't, you were disappointed. But what Jesus said happens when the Son of Man is glorified. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified in my life, in this situation, in this relationship. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, what happens? Men forget it and it's over. Is that what happens? That's what the devil's going to tell you is going to happen. That's what you're going to fear is going to happen. But what happens? It bears much fruit. Read your Bibles, children of God. It bears much fruit. How in the world can a dead thing bear fruit? How? Through the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. That's how. Who, he who loves his life, loses it. You want to hang on to it? Dead bones, dead situations, things that Christ has rendered dead on the cross for you and I. No matter how much you try to breathe life into them and make them live and carry them in your heart, they are dead. Christ killed it on the cross. It's dead. It's a dead work. Maybe we would not be known 
set in the heavenlies, in the kingdom of God. And I'm here to tell you that you should hate your life. Once you hate your life, you could then get it back. God will give it to you. But as long as you love your life, you're losing it every day. You're losing it every day. You live the life of a loser. And the worst part about it is you're going to die a loser. You're going to lose it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, you want to serve me? Oh man, God's people are so full of voluntary service, but very few have come to it this way. They come to it through motivational speaking. They come to it through missionaries coming and giving, pleading with them for help. So they give a little money. They volunteer their time. No wonder they go out to the mission field. No wonder they go out into the workplace. No wonder they go into the city. No wonder they go into their homes. And they lose it. They lose their dreams every day. They're not living their dreams. They're discouraged. The devil is the winner. They lose the battle after battle after battle. Because they're not obeying Jesus. Doing it his way. If anyone serves me, let him follow me this way. And where I am, and where I am, Jesus is saying, that's where I am. I'm in the resurrected life. I'm not in the natural. I'm in the spiritual. Where I am, you come this way. There shall my servant be. He didn't say what I do. That's what he's going to do. He said, where I am, there you will be. You'll live in the shadow of the presence of the Almighty every day. And if anyone serves me, him will my father honor. One of the greatest lacks in God's children is their father's honor. We ask for his blessings, and we think it's earthly riches. But what we lack is his honor. We're more concerned for his earthly money. Praise from men. Well received from men. Earthly stuff is God's heavenly blessing, we think. And what we're all lacking deep in our hearts. Well done, my son. Well done. You're my child in whom I am well pleased. Those are the words Jesus heard over and over again. This is my beloved son. Hear him. I am well pleased. And if you don't have the voice of the Holy Spirit giving you those confident affirmation, words of affirmation every day, You'll be the most insecure Christian. You'll live the life of an orphan. Lost without GPS. In a world that doesn't speak your language and you can't read its language. But eventually, you'll make your home there. Just like Lot made his home himself.
for someone else. But that's not what he said. As we sat in the coffee shop, he started crying. And he said, that's a word of the Lord. Oh God, I did. Still dead. We don't know when the Lord's going to resurrect it. Probably won't be through me. Won't be through someone else. Might not be through him. It might. But we pray together regularly, laying before the Lord. Are you resurrected? I tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, this is Christ our life. This is a wonderful life. I told a young man in Norway who was struggling one year, many years ago, coming out of the city of Oslo. I'll tell you a little history about this guy. He was a Palestinian. Who had moved to Israel. Became a Christian. Israel hated him. The Palestinians hated him. And his father. His mother left him. And his family was split apart. The Muslims hated him. The Jews hated him. The Christians loved him. And brought him to Norway. And he was troubled, he was weeping, and there was so much pain. His, his family had been on the run and numerous times in prison, had been beaten and stoned at. He went to school and they, people hated him because he was a Palestinian and, you know, called him all kinds of racist words and threw rocks at him and chased him. And 19 years old, as I recall, was his age. And he was crying to me. And he looked at me and he said, you can't identify with me at all. I was supposed to share God's word with him, trying to encourage him. He said, you can't identify with me. You're an American. Everything is nice over there in America. Did you ever experience anything like I did? And I looked at him and I said, Amen. My life sucks. I had to talk his terms, his street language, because that's the way he talked. I'll never forget the look. So let me tell you a little about my dreams and my earthly life. And so I shared a bit of my testimony, and together we wept at the foot of the cross. Because he found fellowship there. It doesn't matter that I came from a preacher's home, raised in a good church, raised in America. God had done the same work in my heart. Those same things Christ killed on the cross in me, that he killed in him. And we had to bury them together. And we raised them together. In Christ and the fellowship of We look for unity in experience. Our unity is not in experience. It's in the spirit. Ephesians 4. It's a unity of faith. A unity in the spirit of God. One act. Different experience. All walks of life. In the Spirit, the same call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church throughout the world. God is calling you faith and me for this life. With this great expectation.
You should read his biography. Have you heard of the Moravians? Yeah. Back in the 1800s. It changed Charles Wesley's life. Big time. John Wesley's. And Charles, actually, both of Wesley's brothers. God is in business of calling people to see his great love and it transforms Just.